I'm Aaron Berg. I'm many things. A son, a husband, an immigrant, a dad. I'm also a Jew. And I fought every stereotype there is about us. I was a bodybuilder, a male stripper. I worked in the sex trade. I became a stand-up comedian. And I realized that to be Jewish is to be badass. Join me and celebrate all the badass Jews out there. And let me tell you, there are a ton. Business moguls, game changers, assassins. They come from every walk of life. This is Badass Jews. And I'm your host, Aaron Berg. Today, a very special episode of Badass Jews as we go to our historical correspondent, Andrew Davidsberg, who has rifled through the badass Jews of the past and found an absolute gem for us today. Andrew, tell us who our badass Jew is today. Thanks so much, Aaron. So today we're talking about Vera Atkins Rosenberg. She was one of the most influential spies of World War II and is one of the least known. She rose from humble beginnings as a noble secret agent and rose all the way to a head spy within the upper echelons of the SOE, one of the most important spy organizations of World War II. She was so deep into the spy game that people didn't even know she was Jewish until after her life. Is that true? It's amazing. You know, to go as far as she did, not only as a woman, but as a Jew and as an immigrant is unbelievable. Her last name, Rosenberg, was dropped uh, in order for her to be able to operate more efficiently. And even to her death, you would very rarely hear her reference it. A woman a spy, and a badass Jew. Thank you, Andrew. Today's badass Jew, Vera Atkins Rosenberg. Gaudy chandeliers hang from the vaulted ceiling of the Pelesh Castle Ballroom, some distance north of Bucharest. It's the winter of 1931, and the shadows of guests play on gilded walls as the elite dance at this winter ball. The steady rhythm of the orchestra betrays a sense of uncertainty felt across the continent. To most of Europe, the unhinged madman wrestling for control of Germany is top of mind, but few of the elite in this room care as they glide across the polished marble floors. One of the few attendees with foresight of things to come, German ambassador Friedrich von Schulenberg thanks his partner for the dance and she walks away. He turns to see quite a sight. Standing alone near the edge of the room is Vera Atkins Rosenberg, a stunning woman 33 years his junior. Her dark, youthful features combined with an aura of unexpected confidence were irresistible to this middling-aged German. Vera returned his gaze and without breaking eye contact slowly made her way across the dance floor. Care to dance, she whispered. Taking her hand in his, she started to sway. He believed himself a skilled dancer, but she was celestial. She could be a pro, he thought, her confidence and grace felt with every step. He even allowed her to lead as they moved about the dance floor, a strange position for him, but he offered no resistance. Such a gaudy place this is, always has been, she said with a wry smile. King Carol built it to appear more English, and when the last brick was laid, the response was laughter. As he looked around, he could see the story of the castle reflected in the fools in the room, 
Their self-importance made them all punchlines in these uncertain times, all of them except him and her, an unspoken moment shared between them. Brains, beauty, and wit to match, he thought. Little did he know there was so much more. The rest of the evening they talked and danced. Vera asked him about Adolf Hitler and the current president of Germany, Paul von Hindenburg. Schulenberg was a loyalist, avidly anti-Nazi and well in the know. The more they danced and drank, the more the information flowed. Schulenberg showing signs of intoxication. As the hour grew late, Vera made her exit. She gave Schulenberg a soft peck on the cheek and parted with a whisper of Donka's shame. He watched longingly as she exited the ballroom, throwing him one last parting glance. Continuing through the ornate entryway, Vera left the castle. A garishly dressed valet opened the door to a waiting car as she gracefully slid into the back seat. The rearview mirror shone two inquisitive eyes and an arched eyebrow saying all that was necessary. He's hooked, she said. A smile crept across the face of the driver, William Stevenson, British spy. As the car pulled away, Vera Atkins Rosenberg, now a spy herself, let out a deep sigh of relief. Mission accomplished, she thought, the first of many. Welcome to Badass Jews. My name is Andrew Davidsberg, and I will be your host as we dig into the untold stories of the athletes, spies, soldiers, and all-around tough guys that live their life in true Maccabean style. We'll dig into the legends of those Hebraic heroes who made our people proud, whether it was winning gold, saving drowning children, or throwing Nazis through plate glass windows. The legends of these Yids range from superhuman strength to unequaled bravery, Never starting the fight, but always finishing it. This edition will follow Vera Atkins Rosenberg, spy mistress, covert agent, and badass Jew. Max and Hilda Rosenberg are anxiously awaiting the newest addition to their family. The couple met in South Africa, where Hilda's family had fled to escape Russian pogroms in the late 1800s. Why Max was there is a bit of a mystery. When asked where he was from, he would say he had no country of origin. Max felt that an air of mystery could be advantageous in a pinch. In 1902, the Rosenbergs left South Africa for Romania, and they found great success there. Max was even at one point called on to advise the Crown on financial issues. And it was here on June 15th of 1908 that Hilda gave birth to Vera, their first and only daughter. Vera's upbringing in Romania was one of comfort, though it was far from typical. From a young age, her father imparted his worldview on her and educated her on the tenuous position of Jews living in the diaspora. Though he was affluent and friend to royalty, he would often say, if the Jew makes money for a king, he is welcome at court. If he makes a mistake, he no longer exists. Max knew there were hard times ahead for the Jews, so he started training his little girl in what can best be described as a very particular set of skills. While most girls were playing with dolls and having tea parties, Vera was in training to be a secret agent. 
She was taught to be a deadly combatant, learning how to shoot and ride horses, skills that would serve her as she snuck across borders and exchanged fire with enemy soldiers. Farrah was taught to dance and to type. These would allow her to build cover and charm sources. She was even sent to finishing school in order that she could move in and out of whatever social circles might be required in the future. In her early teens, Max started using her on his own covert missions. She helped the Jews of Eastern Europe escape pogroms of the Russian territories, smuggling them through borders to the relative safety of Palestine. In this first practical application of her training, she saved countless lives and helped many find their way back to their homeland. In 1931, her amateur status would be revoked when she ended up on the radar of the British in Romania. The embassy in Romania thought Vera to be an enemy agent, so they looked to one of their best and brightest to investigate. Bill Stevenson, codenamed Intrepid, was that man. In World War I, after being captured by the Kaiser's men, he was able to escape his POW camp. On his way out, he grabbed a unique can opener he believed had potential. He snuck that uncomfortable hunk of metal all the way back to Canada, and once back home, placed it in mass production. His Fruits of War launched not only a business empire, but a cover for future covert activities. That same man who found potential in a German kitchen appliance would find potential in our lovely heroine. When business found Stevenson in Romania, he made time to meet her and he was immediately impressed. Contrary to the reports he had read, she had no love for Germany. Stevenson learned she was born to be a spy. She was deadly. She was beautiful. She was cool as a cucumber under pressure. And with his years of intelligence, he knew talent where he saw it. Stevenson decided that she was an asset rather than a liability. Ferris spent the next few years honing her spy craft and cultivating more sources in Romania. In 1933, at the behest of Stevenson, Ferris left Romania for the big time in London. Upon arrival in London, Vera learned that while her Jewish identity didn't pose a threat to her life, it would inhibit her ability to operate. This first came apparent as Stevenson showed Vera around various elite London social clubs. As he pointed them out, he explained she was unofficially barred entrance as a Jew and officially barred entrance as a woman. That is, of course, unless she wanted to serve drinks. On one occasion, an MI5 agent nonchalantly explained to Vera that the Jews have no loyalty to the countries in which they live. This age-old anti-Semitic trope shows not only the latent anti-Semitism within the intelligence agency, but also the lack of creativity in MI5 at that point. No doubt this was one of the more tame insults she faced. Over time, one thing became abundantly clear. Her Jewish roots would impede her ability to operate. After deep reflection, she made the decision to hide her heritage and to go by the surname Atkin. In order to protect her people, she would need to hide who she was. To someone whose earliest memories was watching her father cry over the tragedy of the Book of Lamentations, it's hard to imagine how hard this was for her. Anti-Semitism aside, Vera quickly found action within the pre-war intelligence agencies. Traveling under the cover of Secretary Translator for William Stevenson, she jet-set all over Europe gathering intelligence. This included very dangerous trips to Berlin, Poland, and other Eastern European countries well after it was safe there to travel as a Jew. In a time where Facebook trolls and Google Maps were still decades away, nothing could replace reconnaissance from a trusted agent. 
Farrah also found gold mines of information through those seeking asylum from Germany. Many of these immigrants were highly educated. They were scientists, they were doctors, they were engineers, but they were also Jewish. That meant to the British intelligence, their word wasn't worth the leaky boats they rode in on. As one of their own, Vera dismissed the foolishness. She conducted in-depth interviews with the refugees and found invaluable intelligence. The technical knowledge of these new Britishers helped paint a more accurate picture of German military strength. Now, it's important to know that at this time in England, there was a spineless policy of appeasement towards Germany. The British government, led by Neville Chamberlain, believed that Hitler could be trusted. They convinced themselves that his appetite for conquest could be sated by throwing him a few Eastern European countries as sacrifices. After annexing a section of Czechoslovakia, he promised he would march no Fuhrer, and Chamberlain believed him. Big surprise, Hitler lied. Five months later, Germany invaded the rest of Czechoslovakia. During these dark times on the island, it seemed the lone voice of opposition was Winston Churchill. The intelligence provided by our noble heroine was instrumental in his case for defiance. With Czechoslovakia in his back pocket, Hitler now turned his eyes to Poland, and so too did British intelligence. Vera, being one of their top agents, was front and center. She would report, I'm getting into the swing of Polish life, to a fellow agent. To drink, you pour a shot of vodka, you take a radish, scrape butter on a knife, slice the radish, leave a filling of butter, sprinkle salt, and knock back the vodka. What about the radish, she inquired. I suppose, she hiccuped. You eat it. I haven't gotten that far in my studies yet. The year is now 1939, and the Polish people are feeling the vice-like squeeze of the Germans to their left and the Russians to the right. Most of the world is unaware that though the writing is on the wall for their future, the Poles have accomplished an intelligence coup. In a daring mission, they have acquired one of Germany's Enigma cipher machines, and a group of Polish codebreakers have cracked the code. With the German army breathing down their neck, one of Vera's sources shared the details of the raid and requested extraction. With that piece of information, military mission number four was created. Known more widely as MM4, its mission, save the codebreakers, save the world. On the surface, MM4 may seem simple. Fly over, load up the codebreakers and their toys, fly back, and Bob's your uncle. It was far from it. Between Poland and Great Britain stood an ever-growing German Reich, and any attempt for a direct route would be disaster. With 30 people assigned to the mission, Vera was the lone woman, and without her, the mission would have likely failed. Given the securitist route, the mission found themselves puddle-jumping their way to Warsaw. At a layover in Alexandria, they found their boats had been requisitioned. This was a make-or-break moment for MM4, but with her typical calm and confidence, Vera made her way to the local Imperial British Airways office. She walked in looking more like a model than a covert agent and flashed a smile to the office manager. We need a charter. It's for a good cause, she said, sliding a few bills his way. Blinded by her charm, beauty, and finances, he agreed. And with that, the team had their planes and they departed for their next destination. During the course of the mission, the team would travel through Greece, Romania, sometimes by train, sometimes by plane, and sometimes by taxi cab. After multiple bribes, detours, and close calls, they made it into Poland. 
The final leg of their journey was through the suburbs of Warsaw, and it consisted of bombed-out houses and businesses. It was a sobering experience and an unfortunate preview of the dangers facing London. Finally reaching their destination, they led the codebreakers to safety, and not a moment too soon, war had come to Poland. As a quick side note, even to this day, the story of this rescue is not well known, nor is the existence of the Polish Enigma machines. Most of you know the 2014 movie, The Imitation Game, which depicts Alan Turing cracking the Enigma with his machine. None of Turing's innovations would have been possible without the Polish codebreakers' knowledge or equipment, all of which was saved by Vera Atkins in the MM4 mission. Bottom line, no Vera Atkins, no Golden Globe for Benedict Cumberbatch. Now back to 1940. Following MM4, Vera returned to the relative safety of England. Britain had entered the war and secret operation units started to take shape. For years, Vera had been a knock or non-official cover style operator. Basically, that meant if she was caught, she was on her own. Now, as Churchill returned to power, Special Operations Executive was officially formed. Churchill proclaimed SOE's directives. Set Europe ablaze. Make Hitler's life an eternal torment. Hit and run, butcher and bolt. Vera and many longtime allies quickly answered the call. In this new organization, Vera thrived and quickly rose to upper management, reaching the official title of Secretary. See, the SOE was designed with an amorphous structure where official rank mattered little and merit was king. Outside the walls, it was difficult to discern who was in charge. This meant the best and the brightest could rise, regardless of the color of their blood. For instance, Vera Atkins was officially a secretary, but in actuality she co-managed F-Section. That's F for France. It was one of the most important divisions in the SOE. As the war progressed, it became abundantly clear that the British would need U.S. support to have a fighting chance. The Americans were willing to help, but they wanted to ensure it was a sound investment. So in 1940, Roosevelt sent over Wild Bill Donovan to kick the tires. An agent from SOE was chosen to show him around, and guess who it was? None other than her humble secretary, Vera Atkins Rosenberg. Her job? Convincing the greatest superpower in the world to provide wartime support. There is no doubt that Vera was the right choice for this assignment. She studied up on him before his visit. She learned him to be an avid anti-imperialist and that he would be unimpressed with the fancy meals or exclusive clubs. Instead, Vera treated him like a source, creating a playbook appealing to his no-heirs American nature and showing how scrappy the SOE was. Wild Bill spent the first leg of his journey visiting the SIS, or Security Intelligence Service. This exclusive agency was the rival of the SOE and was filled with royal-blooded, stiff upper-lift British men. These men were certainly not the people of Wild Bill. Their strategy wine and dine the adventurer in the same exclusive clubs that barred Vera entry. This was a gross miscalculation that could have led to trouble getting American support for the war. Fortunately, it was Vera's turn next, and on her watch there were no fancy dinners. She loaded him into an open-top surplus jeep and took him through the English countryside to secret SOE locations. The first stop was the shop, where SOE scientists produced covert and hidden weapons. Imagine Q's lab and James Bond, exploding pencils, statues, and the occasional rodent. 
They then visited private mansions where SOE agents trained in hand-to-hand combat, sabotage, and information gathering. One session taught agents how to turn handshakes into an assassination. Another, how to avoid startling sheep. Donovan observed interrogation-resistant training where agents strapped to train tracks held their tongues as trains sped by, only later learning it was just an exercise. Wild Bill would return with mixed reviews of Great Britain's chances, but with glowing endorsement of the SOE. He would later comment about Vera, no woman in the history of espionage has exercised such power. While America waited to enter the fray, in Europe the war continued, and Vera's contributions to the war effort grew. One of her most important responsibilities was identifying and cultivating talent, and Vera took a special interest in her female agents. The women she would manage and train as spies were to become legend. Just to name a few, there was Noor Inyat Khan, an Indian princess who would operate behind enemy lines as an unmatched signal specialist and courier. Christina Skarbek, a Jewish countess that, while wanted by the Gestapo, walked into one of their prisons and bribed the commandant to release SOE prisoners. Then, of course, there was Virginia Hall, who, among other accomplishments, organized the escape of 12 French agents from a German prison camp. This was all done with a prosthetic leg she affectionately named Cuthbert. This is just a short list of the women she worked with, each of them badasses in their own right and required further reading. On January 20th, 1942, 15 Nazi scumbags sat in a room and brainstormed about how to murder Jews. This meeting was known as the Vonnesee Conference, and the product, infamous to this day, the final solution. Vera learned about this hellish powwow, and she was pissed. Her first intention, whack Hitler. She dug deep and started planning, but decided the stakes were too high and the chances too low. Should he survive, he would claim divine intervention, strengthening his hold on his mindless followers. Instead, she decided on the leader of the meeting, Reinhard Heydrich. He was the man known for such hits as Kristallnacht and the Einsatzgruppen, cowards that gunned down unarmed Jewish civilians. In conjunction with Czech intelligence services, Vera helped to select the two assassins and plan the operation. Having completed the SOE training program, two Czech agents were dropped behind enemy lines with a veritable arsenal of weapons. They attacked Heydrich on his daily commute, hitting him with a modified anti-tank grenade after a gun jammed. The shrapnel tore through his body and fortunately he suffered for a long week before dying. In typical Nazi fashion, they responded by killing civilians and deporting survivors to slaughter. Because of the Nazi response, the assassination became controversial. But who knows how many innocent lives would have been taken if this soulless monster had lived. This is certainly something that we can thank Vera Atkins Rosenberg for. By 1944, the war was reaching its climax, and the Allied powers prepared for their D-Day invasion. In France, the first three lines of an obscure poem could be heard over the BBC. When a sighing begins in the violins of the autumn song. This signaled Vera's F-section to stand by. A few days later, the next three were broadcast. My heart is drowned in the slow sound, langorious and long. These three lines were the signal to unleash. As the Allies landed on Normandy Beach, saboteurs blew train tracks, delaying German reinforcements. 
partisan fighters supported by Vera's network harassed German soldiers, slowing their progress and lowering their morale. The network that had spent so much time poking the beast with needles now unleashed their sword as the cavalry arrived at their shores. In one example, Das Reich, a German panzer division which posed a serious threat to the Allied invasion was called from Toulouse to assist. The division loaded their tanks onto their transports only to find the cars rendered useless by saboteurs. The tanks then had to proceed under their own power, meaning a long journey and frequent stops for repairs. They also found themselves short one high-ranking officer as Major Helmut Kumpf was kidnapped during their transport. The Das Reich was rendered Das useless by Vera's French networks. Following D-Day, Vera's networks continued to operate, and just under a year after the Normandy invasion, victory in Europe was declared. Vera could finally take a breath, though only a short one. Throughout the Throughout the war, many agents had been lost in the field and their deaths a mystery. Now that the immediate danger had passed, Farrah felt it her duty to close the loop and find out their fate. I could not just abandon their memory, she said. I decided I must find out what happened to each one and where. She would traverse the continent, putting together the pieces of her friends and agents' final days, one last act of compassion to honor the memory of the brave fallen SOE agents. Finally, in 1947, she was demobilized. It would take nearly 50 years for Vera's contributions in the war to be recognized. In 1995, she was honored as a knight in the French Legion and shortly thereafter was recognized by Great Britain as well. In the year 2000, after a relatively quiet and peaceful retirement, Vera Atkins Rosenberg passed away at the age of 92. There is no doubt that Vera Atkins Rosenberg was a hero and a trailblazer, both as a Jew and as a woman. In both respects, she bypassed the glass ceilings in place with the skill expected by a covert agent behind enemy lines. We should all look to her for inspiration. Not only did she always put her people first, but she never apologized about breaking the unjust rules that would have kept her from achieving her potential. Even long after her retirement, people still seek to tear her down, and the internet is full of conspiracy theories about due loyalty and duplicitive activities. These hold no actual water, and they originate from petty people with petty motives. With everything written about her, it boils down to one sentence written by spy and author Ian Fleming. In the real world of spies, Vera Atkins was the boss. Vera Atkins Rosenberg, badass Jew. The standard disclaimer here that a short podcast only scratches the surface of Vera Atkins' life is an ultimate understatement. The full scope and scale of her influence is still unknown. As primary sources age, they will likely stay that way. If nothing else, this is a testament to her skill and dedication to her craft. If she were a lesser spy, we would know everything about her. If you want to learn more about Vera Atkins Rosenberg, there's a few books that really tell her story well. Much of the content for this podcast was pulled from Spy Mistress by William Stevenson. It's an exhaustive look at not just her life, but the evolution of SOE. A Life in Secrets by Sarah Helm is also a great read. It takes a deep dive into Vera's quest to find the fates of her lost agents. As always, thank you for listening, and remember... 
Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you can't be a badass too. When we hit these historical episodes, there's something that needs to be remembered. Back in the 20s and 30s and 40s, when Jews were being badass, they did not have the opportunity to kick it up a notch with badass Jew hot sauce. Now, it was a troubling time, but what a better time it would have been if they had some badass Jew hot sauce. It complements just about everything. And if you were a spy and you were undercover and you had to eat some pork to fit in, you throw some badass Jew hot sauce on there, and nobody's none the wiser, as they used to say. Go to SilkCityHotSauce.com, use code BADASS, get badass Jew hot sauce. It's so good, it'll make you... Cr- about everything. Badass Jew hot sauce.